So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Tai Kefu! Did he get it? That's the match winner! back with another episode of the running rugby podcast i've got toby and leo back with me again as we look at the lions tour a bit of olympic rugby sevens and some changes coming up to the rugby championship as well as the final of a really long long mlr season but tobes good to have you back with us this week mate we missed you last week anything you wanted to say as you missed your chance to comment on the end of that wallabies french series Mate, I was just loving it. And I think it's taken me a while to calm down. I think it's good. We've had this little break. It was, I think the shot in the arm that Australian rugby needed in this point in time. And I, I don't want us to get ahead of ourselves because the All Blacks are going to be a really tough test in the next week or so. But, you know, we got the 2-1 series victory, even if it was against a slightly understrength French team. I think that's a huge result for Australian rugby generally. And yeah, I was just delighted in the fashion that it went down. It was exciting. I think Stan did a good job in presenting it. And yeah, it just feels like rugby this year is, is something that people are talking about more and more, which is a massive positive. Absolutely. And with the Olympics going on, we all three of us just sat down and watched the um, Rugby Sevens final, New Zealand versus Fiji. Obviously, Fiji reigning gold medal champions from Rio five years ago. Um, and New Zealand that got knocked out in the quarters five years ago and out of the medals. And Fiji go back to back, 27 to 12. They just got up early with a couple of early tries and New Zealand couldn't chase them down in that. Yeah, a little bit sloppy from the Fijians in some of their defensive work, but man, they've got some talent in that team and just bumping people off. Great physicality, but also just the ability to stretch the field and, you know, just cultivate tries out of nothing. So not the most entertaining final by any means, but it was great to see the Fijians get the gold medal. Um, I don't need the All Blacks sevens having any <laughs> success given the All Blacks are probably going to enjoy some, some more this year. So great to see the Fijians doing well. What really amazes me about the Fijians is just that this amazing hive mind they seem to have that they always know where their support is they, they throw a lot of loose balls they, they go backwards a bit but there's always people around where they're throwing those balls they don't always land perfectly on the chest but there's someone there in the vicinity so it's not just like a big turnover encounter the the offloads and the little pops and you know the awareness to okay there's no one around me it's one-on-one I'll, I'll hop up I'll pick it up and go again um just amazing at keeping it alive and keeping that possession um, but both teams had immense uh, efforts in this game of players just going one-on-one and, and busting tackles and going on, which makes me wonder how much the players, when you think you've made the tackle, you then move to, to try and position yourself to attack the ball at the ruck and, and try and pilfer quickly. And sometimes I think some players almost drop off and, and try and get into that position a little early. And then that player just keeps running and get this kind of semi line breaks that, that turn into breakouts and, it must be such a balance to strike for the players to 
to judge when when's the time because if you just go fully into the tackle take them do ground and then aren't in a position to compete you know you're not going to get the ball and they might just go straight over the ruck with the next phase so yeah it's always an interesting games and um really talented players who no doubt will feature in in 15 side rugby soon absolutely and it's always get good to get a bit of more of a look um at players such as Semi Rad Radra was in the Fijian squad, not not present for the final. Um, didn't make that final squad, but he had a couple of highlight moments in the pool rounds and semis as well. And the women's sevens kicks off tomorrow, um, so hopefully we'll see our our girls, the Aussie girls, um, gold medalists from Rio. See if they can go back to back as well. But looking over at South Africa, and we got our Lions tour um, fill on the weekend. First test, finally got a bit of a taste here. Um, again, not the most exciting game watching. Um, the Lions did get it back after a bit of a slow start, but 22 to 17, they, they take first blood down in Cape Town. Yeah, and a, a game with a lot of similar tactics from both sides of final. I guess game one of, of the three match series and both sides are very cautious. Like there's, there's some really strong defense, really stifling, suffocating pressure, both from both sides on each other. Um, but a lot of box kicking, a lot of trying to put the ball up and force an error. Um, and, and seeing that multiple times, like put a, put a box kick up, manage to tap it back or, or regather and then, and then set another few phases go again. Um, it's not a style of rugby that I, I like that much because it just feels like you're, you're just creating these tricky contests and, and trying to force errors from the opposition rather than, uh, I suppose, working as a, as a 15 to draw players in and create holes and, and run away with it. But it seems to work. So even though the, the back three for both sides did a pretty good job, uh, fielding those kicks and, and recovering possession and settling again, it, it stayed the the primary strategy for this contest was putting these box kicks up and Australia do it a bit too. It's just a bit, um, I don't know, what do you guys think is a bit mundane? Yeah, I'd, I agree. I think it was a bit of a snooze fest. Plenty of errors, plenty of scrums in there. I think some bad refereeing calls overall. And yeah, I wasn't that enthused by the game. Um, obviously the result, I was hoping the box could get the win um, and they looked like they were in control in the first half, but then the second half just was a different story and the Lions just chipped away at them. And it's just a bit, yeah, it's very different to, to what we were used to watching the last six months or so with more running, you know, exciting rugby. This is just taking your points where you can, um, you know, occasionally risking it and going for the corner, but a lot of conservative play here and just, yeah, the box kicks really getting on my nerves because I know it can be effective, but I think the way it's being used at the moment, I think it's being used too much. Often the chase isn't good enough. And it just, it kills the spectacle sometimes in terms of a possession game and, and really chancing your arm. I think sometimes teams are just kicking possession away when they could be building pressure, going more direct and then trying to go wide a bit later on. So you, can, you tend to get this midfield contest where they're box kicking back and forth and, yeah, I hope it changes a little bit for the second game so it's a bit more exciting. That said, we always complain about it a lot in the Australian Wallabies games, but that is partly because we don't do it well. I think the Lions really were in the, on the back foot, especially in the first 20 minutes of this game with that Springbok defence that's really 
playing on the edge and really up in your face. And then Ali Price sort of got the start here at nine over sort of someone like Conor Murray. And he showed why, because he was doing sort of very accurate kicking, putting the back sort of three of the box under pressure every time and came up with multiple sort of repeat penalties, knock-ons um, and retaining the ball. So that, it is not a pretty way to play, but it, it changed the momentum in this game when they started doing that. Yeah, it's, it's a legitimate tactic for sure. I, I guess it's just not um, for the spectators the most entertaining style of, of play. But absolutely, I mean, it's if, if you can be effective, if you've got a good chase, obviously if you've got someone who can deliver an accurate box kick with the right amount of um, you know, height for, for the distance you put it down, um, it is a way to really pressure your opposition and create errors and create a bit of momentum when you're stuck in the mud, I suppose. Uh, I just wish they'd, they'd um, spend a bit more time owning the ball, building phases. Um, you know, again, it's a simple formula as well, but it leads to a bit more entertainment is uh, trying to draw someone offside, trying to draw someone uh, into trouble at the ruck, getting that penalty advantage. And then you pretty much get a free ticket, right? You can try all sorts of things. And if you don't go 25 metres, you basically get the ball back and you can be kicking for set piece. You can be taking a scrum. You can be kicking for goal. Like, you should be able to retain the ball and trust yourself to get through seven plus phases, um, draw the team, draw the opposition into a, um, a weakened sort of defensive line structure, find some gaps and pressure them, cause them to make an error. I think we also saw, I don't know whether it was fatigue on the part of the Springboks in the second half, but also their replacements just didn't really add much for them as well. I mean, they, brought on a front row that you would expect it to be dominant with um, Kitsoff, Mark and Malherba coming on, um, replacing Oxy Notch, um, Mbombanambi and Trevon Kane, who were dominant in the first half of the scrum. And then the box scrum started going backwards. Um, they, they ended up replacing their 9, 10 and 15, partly through Willie LaRue had to go off because I think of an injury after a tackle. But that really seemed to stifle a lot of the momentum as well, because those having Faf Pollard and Larue as just such their key men. Yeah, they're really, really important guys for them. They they're the spine of the back line and they direct a lot of traffic. Did we think that the the try that the Springbok scored that was then ruled uh, player in front of the kicker? Uh, like I've, uh, I've just gone back kicking forward for Larue. Yeah, so like I went and looked at the, the World Rugby rules and as far as I can tell, it just says teammates are offside if they're in front of the kicker. So, but what does that mean? Which, which part, is that any part of the chaser in front of any part of, like in front of the foremost part of the kicker? I always took it as the ball. So if, if you take the centre line of the ball or the back of the ball, by the time a guy kicks it with his leg out in front, there's a little bit more wiggle room there. And I really thought that was pretty borderline and not, not necessarily um, one I would have turned over on review. I thought if they've awarded the try and it's close, I would have let it stand. And it didn't end up mattering because they did almost the exact same thing a couple of minutes later with a couple of different players. And I reckon they were in a similar position. They didn't review it. So as, I, I didn't think that was controversial and then they took it away. So I thought that was a bit tough. I don't know whether this was a little bit of mind games earlier in the week because the Lions were upset that Maris Yonker was going to be the TMO um, for all the Lions games when they were supposed to be getting some of the 
um, Kiwis over to be TMOs, um, which ended up not happening. And so they, they put up a thing about whether people were going to be biased. And I don't know whether because that was his first proper involvement and he sort of went, ah, uh, no, that's definitely offside. I thought it was much more borderline. I don't know what the actual rule is. If it's all of you has to be behind the kicker or behind the ball, or is it just part of you? Because once you're sprinting, if you have a leg trailing behind that's behind the ball, is that enough? I thought it was probably not enough evidence from the angles that they had to clearly say he was offside. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, I agree. Yeah. But then, but then they're so happy to say things are on-field try these days. As long as they see a grounding, they just say on-field it's a try. But the other one as well where, was it, um, Willie LaRue, he touched his hand and went back. Or I think it went forward. Was it Willie LaRue? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. You're talking about before the other try. And they still they... gave it a try. I said, yeah, definitely did. he definitely didn't touch it. I'm like, he definitely did touch it. Yeah. Like, so it's, it's amazing to how me it was pretty... definite now they try and be in Timo and then just... Uh... I think just the communication as well is really poor mm. um, between the on-field referees and the TMO. They don't have a proper discussion. They almost, if a decision's made, they almost just agree with each other and it's there needs it to seems, be a bit more of a robust discussion. It seems to discussion. be now either the TMO jumps in with a decision or the on-field ref jumps in with the decision that he wants to make. And it's well, what they like, ask this for. Is what I'm seeing, and it's almost like I don't want com- like very few of them be like, "Is that right?" What I'm seeing, it looks like he was in front. Is that right? Yeah, and I think that, that. I think this is this is this, and so it's not a try. They they look for they they say what they think it is a try or no try, and then they say we want we just want to have a look at, and then that gets put up on the screen, and then sometimes they talk through it, and the team just agrees because. <laughs> the guy's not going to keep getting. We well, don't want to be seen to. Yeah, that's right. They don't want to be seen to be disagreeing altogether. And and the times when the TMO puts something up and says, uh, you know, we've seen this, and if the refs are watching and they're they're not sure, sometimes they say, oh, can we see it again? And I, I mean, often I, I think they agree. I don't think they tend to come to a different decision. So it's it seems to be the first person to speak up forms an opinion and, and most people just gravitate to that yeah. for you know which, for, to, to make sure they don't lose face which is what i think happened with not to keep going back to wallabies and marika's red card but i think it was brendan pickerel um spoke up early in that and said oh for me that's direct contact with the head and he said it early and then they are okay well then that's direct contact someone said yeah okay so now we can't now we can't go against yeah. that like honestly if if they're willing to speak up and make a call when they see something and it's reviewed later and deemed wrong, I think they should miss games for making bad decisions. Like, I think it should be publicly out there that you know, what Brendan, Brendan said was wrong, what that decision was wrong. Um, they should because be able they to come need and to be accountable. Logic. Yeah, that's, I mean, because there's such blatantly bad calls being made and then people are losing interest in the game because of these calls. It's pretty um, frustrating. So it's very important. So you think Nick Berry had a bad game in this? Yeah, I do. I, I don't think he, he had a bad, bad game. Calls. He, made, he, made, he made some poor calls, but I don't think he had a bad game. I think overall it was managed all right. I, again, I was also very surprised that the tip tackle from Watson didn't see more than just a penalty. Yeah, like, that's, it's, it's, all, that's, it's, it's the that's, difference that's between... That's a yellow refing, card. Yeah, that it's could the be difference a red between card. refing 
an outcome and refing the potential. And we've talked about this before. You ref the potential. If a player is tipped, then there's the potential that they have a serious injury. And it's not the fact that they stuck their arm out and saved themselves. Otherwise, you're going to get players not doing that to make sure that, you know, the other team gets sent off, which is not what you want. So you've got to ref the or, potential and the potential of the tip. Or like handing it up. That's the French right. captain to try and get a result out of it. And that's not what we want in rugby. So yeah, these so guys have got to be consistent. That was pretty obvious. That's been that be that's been a yellow for years in terms We're of just going above the horizontal, horizontal, right? Yeah. It's very yeah. clear. Who cares if he puts his arm down or not? Like yeah. it shouldn't matter if he lands on his head. Yellow. It matters if he's tipped and it matters if it's if if the players then once they're in that awkward position, the tackling player is like driving them into the ground. If they realize and they try and pull out of it or, or catch the player, it's still a yellow because they made a mistake, but it's not egregious and it doesn't become a red. And that makes me instantly lose respect for Nick Berry as a referee if he makes bad calls like that. It just it, pretty much taints the game for me um, in the way he's dealt with that situation. And it wasn't just that one. There are a few other ones as well. And just the way that, like I said, he interacts with the TMO. He's a very confident referee, and I think that sometimes gets the better of him. I just think that those sorts of calls from a referee who's been involved in our Southern Hemisphere competitions and the focus has been on that type of play and reacting strongly to it, sending people off, it's very jarring to have him not be consistent. But having said that, and this isn't an excuse, I'll just make the point that we, we don't know what the refereeing group talk about we don't know what they say, whether when they go back to the kind of international rules and you've got North versus South Hemisphere and they've obviously had different points of focus in their competitions, uh, whether, the, whether the there's some, though, some sense that, you know, you, you don't, don't be as, as robust. The thing is, though, we've had guidelines seat. released at the last World Cup and that's the last thing we've heard from, like, the world refereeing mm. sort of thing. And so unless they're going to come out and say there's a change to that, those should be what every team is playing against. It shouldn't matter North yeah. or South Hemisphere. No, it shouldn't. That's right. And But also, you know, if they shouldn't be in the back room before the game saying, look, this is a Lions series. We don't want to see people sent off. We don't want to see well, that's, games that's ruined on those see. decisions. That's and that's saying. where they then bias their, or, or yeah, um, tweak their decision-making to say, look, if you think, if you think it's a little bit, you know, it, it, there was nothing of it. The players aren't injured. We're okay if you just kind of make excuses and let it play on just a penalty, just to not affect the game. And if honestly, if that's happening in a back room when they're prepping for the game, if that's the sort of attitude they take into these games, then the main thing for me that is is violated, I think, is the player safety because they're not discouraging that type of player, that type of play strongly enough, which brings it back into play in the next couple of games. And if someone gets carded now for a tip tackle in the next two games, they're going to be livid, especially if it's a South African. Let's focus on the players a little bit more. Who were your standouts um, from either team? Um, who who did you think had sort of the big games? We do have the lineups now for the second test. Um, so who who did you think stood up the best for each team? I think the centres for both sides were very solid. Like they're the um, really? the Allende and Arm, like yeah, like the the press and the pressure they put on the midfield, and then the like the, those guys occasionally broke through when they were on attack. But defensively, I felt like the centres, that's their strength. 
Um, yeah. and, they, and they really contained each other. And I know this wasn't a big open open running game particularly, but, um, you know, th- they set that line. They draw forwards in and, and pick players up. I think they did well. Like that early hit from Arm on Daly was awesome. Like that was just a, a real impact play early in the game. Um, mm. I don't think England really got another one back, back on the South Africans. But, um, yeah, and then Henshaw breaking through. Um, late in the game, took 30 or 40 metres off the spring box. Like, you know, just class players, um, not flashy, just doing a really solid job in the midfield. I think that 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 just set the standard in defence and and I, my belief, those guys are a key part of the communication and the structure for that to occur. I thought Peter Steftatai was excellent, as he usually is, very consistent, making some good metres, his work rate's, so good around the park as well. Um, and even Andre Pallard with some pretty, like coming off a knee injury, I think, last year, he did his ACL. To come back from that with, you know, limited international football, obviously, since the World Cup, they haven't played really, apart from one one game before this. So I think, you know, he did pretty well. I think he'll improve, but he controlled the game well. He kicked relatively well. Um yeah, the box themselves, I think, they, were, they played well as a team, as a unit, I think. I don't know if there were really that many standout players. Like you said, Arch, I think the front row in the first half did well. But wouldn't you say that the guys off the bench maybe should be first choice anyway? So it's a bit of a strange one that they came on and didn't have the impact. And maybe that's my brain thinking too far back in time in terms of Malcolm Marks being first choice. But for me, the guys coming off the bench, should nearly be the guys that are starting. And I haven't seen the team for this week, but yeah, they'd be looking for a much better effort from them if they're coming off the bench again. So, yeah. So, and I think that was the opinion of the commentators as well. They thought that bench um, front row was a much more sort of vaunted, um, worrying sort of front row to see, um, which they have switched the props this week. So Kitsoff and Malherber are both starting um, but Malcolm Mark still sitting on the bench with Mbombo Nambi, which we saw a lot in the World Cup. I think a lot um, he tended to sort of alternate into that starting role with Marks, and he's quite dynamic. Where Marks maybe is not quite as at his sort of tip top form that he did have sort of probably five years ago with that. I would also give some credit to the English, oh, sorry, English, uh, although mostly English um, back row. Um, I thought Curry and Laws. Um, had an impact. I think Curry's still a bit of a, uh, he's a bit two-sided. Like he, he can be um, a, a, a problem for you because he's quite aggressive and he, and he's pressing, you know, the ref to, to make decisions with his, with his pilfering and his work in the ruck, but like that aggression and that eagerness is really good. Um, you already talked about Peter Steph to toy. Quagga Smith was not great. I think where they really feel the lack of uh, oomph at their number eight, like, Compared to prime Dwayne, yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, compared to prime Dwayne Vermeulen, like just, just you know, night and day. So that's something which which stopped some of the Springboks um, forward momentum. He he really wasn't effective. He was driven back regularly by uh, Laws and Atoje. Like they just crushed him. So um, not surprising here that he's been moved. Yeah, I agree. Like Laws, I think. He made like a great run in the second half as well. Where I haven't seen him sort of carrying the ball with that sort of frosty and sort of go forward in uh, quite a few years. 
Um, but Toja, as you say, even though he sits on his knees when he pilfers, um, <laughs> he still get it, gets the calls, so you can't really blame him for that. Um, and Conan, I think, even though there's been some calls, I think from Warburton being like, oh, he wants um, Felletau, um to take it up. I think Jack Conan was immense. I think he's had the most um, metres made or something by Lions forward in history or something with that with that game as well. Um, and in terms of the English backs, I don't think we still saw that much a lot from them. Stuart Hogg was quiet. Um, Dan Bigger, we didn't see a huge amount from. I, as I said, I think Ali Price did well, but that was mainly in his kicking game. Duan van der Merwe was good under the high ball, but that's about it. Anthony Watson looks dangerous when he gets the ball, um, but he just didn't have a, very many opportunities uh, to actually attack, um, really. And then Alan Wynne Jones comes in and plays 80 minutes um, somehow. Bionic man, he must be half metal. Can someone explain to me how he was able to come back? Quickly? Three weeks after a dislocated shoulder? I don't know. Needles, Arch. It's got to be needles, right? I've, I reckon someone's gone and like cut half the nerves that supply that that shoulder. <laughs> so he's just got no sensation in it. For he's like, no, just cut it. You got to cut me. You got to cut me. Is that an official medical opinion? Uh, yes. <laughs> I thought you'd be more into the needles than the surgical uh, cues, but anyway. <laughs> no, just, I mean, the guy may be playing on pure passion and adrenaline um, and getting through it. be interesting to see if after 80 minutes uh, against the Springboks, if he gets a full 80 this week uh, and if he looks, as, as you know, relatively speaking, fresh, like um, I, I would imagine he's, you know, beat, beaten and bruised just putting 80 minutes in off that injury. So, but amazing, just like what a, what a warrior, like really impressive effort to get through that and didn't look hampered by it like what wasn't wasn't dragging anyone along on that shoulder but was also you know just solid didn't didn't let them down at all in defense so this week uh we have as i said highlighted a few changes props for the spring box changing quagga smith's dropping for vice at number eight um otherwise they are unchanged in the back line um the lions drop their loose head prop um, to bring in Marco Vunipola to start as he made that impact off the bench. Um, Connor Murray comes in to start at nine for Ali Price, uh, who drops to the bench as well. But other than that, um, they are... Oh, no, Elliot Daly as well. Yeah, Chris uh, Harrison. Chris, yeah, Chris Harris. Um, the Scotsman gets gets a start at that 13 jersey. So Daly, despite having a promising tour so far, didn't, didn't put enough in. And I think it didn't help that he missed that long-range penalty as well. Um, but boys, what do you what do you see for this test too? I mean, obviously now it's must-win territory for the Springboks. Um, they've already become the shortest um, winning streak for a team that's just won the World Cup with a single test versus Georgia. Um, so they're breaking records here. They're going to lose this series. I think they'll get this one. I think both teams have just made minor tweaks. I think the Springboks have a lot more um, to to throw at the Lions. I think the Lions were, particularly with their selections, like Connor Murray would be a bit more aggressive. Um, I don't know that much about Harris, and, and Hogg was definitely quiet, but um, I still feel like there's there's more um, X-factor, more, more dynamic players in this Springbok team that we didn't get the full 
the full um, showing of. So, uh, and they'll be rolled up, and they've they'll have Razzie out on the field running water again, telling them what to do and and tweaking their game as well. So when you've got the coach out there hand delivering eight sets of instructions to each forward at each scrum, uh, I'm sure they'll have done their research and they'll be they'll be better prepped and and ready ready to go to keep the keep the honour of South Africa up against these lines. Yeah, I think the Quagga Smith experiment obviously didn't work. So having him replaced, I think, will do wonders for that team in terms of go forward and carrying ability in their, in their loose forwards. But, um, yeah, I love Rassi's antics. I love that he's kind of getting Gatland a bit more animated, a bit more annoyed by this stuff. Um, and, yeah, I think that you're right, Leigh. I think the Springboks just have a lot, like another level to go to here and... Having that longer layoff as an international team is is unprecedented, really. Um, so I think they'll get better. They'll be fired up, obviously. Playing in Cape Town again, three times in a row, they're going to be playing there. It's um it's a pretty stable environment for them. There'll be a fair bit of pressure, but I, I would be backing them to get the result here. Um, but, yeah, overall, I think let's just see a more entertaining game. We know the way that Springboks can play with ball in hand, with some of their exciting rugby and the amount of points they can put on. You know, if we go back to that final against England, the way they were playing there, I'd like to see more of that. Um, and it's a pretty similar team here. So let's see some more fireworks and some aggression, hopefully getting getting one back maybe on Marco Vunipola, who um, baffling and baffling to me, he's born in 1991. How is that guy 30 years old? Someone explain that to me. I want to see his birth certificate. <laughs> it's it's interesting the the aging process that Test rugby takes out of you, especially as a front rower. Um, a lot of those guys seem to look about forty five by the time they're about twenty five. Somehow, a lot of miles, a lot of miles on that that boy there in Marco. Um, let's move on and talk about the Wallaby squad that got announced. Um, the blood is low. There was a bit of concern about um, due to the Trans-Tasman bubble being paused about whether games would go ahead or not. They are going ahead. Uh, the Wallabies have got a quarantine exemption from the New Zealand government to travel across to play their first game in Eden Park on the 7th of August. And they will be playing the week after. Most likely, it sounds like, in Wellington, um, though they're still trying to work out exact dates and stadium availability. But we've seen some different names named in this squad and called into this squad as backup boys. Yeah, some very surprising names, but a, a situation of, of desperation in, in one sense that certain players must have been trapped in bubbles in New South Wales, maybe in, in Victoria, unable to link up with the squad after leaving the Sunshine Coast. Uh, Quade Cooper called, given the call and, and asked to come in as coverage for James O'Connor. Uh, apparently he's going to travel with the team to New Zealand and you know if he's there and, and things don't go well for the players they have in mind to start then uh, injury may force a, a return of, of the magic man Quade Cooper in New Zealand which would be just insane like what what a what a series of events to to get to that point is pretty impressive can you imagine what the crowd's going to be like if Quade gets on the field in a Wallabies jersey in New Zealand again Oh, I, I can't. He'll be sitting in the in the in the players' group and getting booed anyway. Like he'll be if he's there. It'll he's gonna be, be amazing. The, it'll just I hope he runs water. He, he does. He said um, 
in a, in a bit of a snippet we got out of him this week, he talked about how he's been, you know, mostly just talking to people like Noah and just talking about how they see the game and how he sees the game and just trying to share a bit of um, sort of wisdom and, and views on, on players and, and teams and styles of play. Um, and for a guy who had a fairly, uh, I suppose, tumultuous career in some senses, like was, was always a, was a potential star, never, never um, locked the, the Wallabies 10 spot down um, for long, long periods, but, you know, it was always an interesting selection. And when he was on, he was amazing. Like you'd imagine he could give Noah a bit of uh, insight to, to his experience and that, that would only be helpful to get some perspective on what is hopefully a long and successful career for someone like Noah. Yeah, I think I'm happy to see QC back. I think he's, um, he's got such a wealth of knowledge. He, I don't think he'd let us down if he got on the field, um, even though he's been out of the picture for a while now. Don't see it happening at least against the All Blacks, but who knows down the track. You wonder if he, you know, he got the attention of Rani even being, by being in the media around this whole citizenship debacle, um, whether that kind of caught Rennie's eye and he thought, well, it's someone I could use in a similar mould to James O'Connor, who's had a, a mixed career in terms of on and off the field, but has come through it and, and been, a, you know, I think a better person because of it. So I think it's really good to see him back. Um, you know, he's got, he's got a lot of skills. His body's in good nick and I'm sure he'll be ready if called upon. Um, but yeah, I think overall this following squad is looking even stronger than before, um, before the front, the French series with some guys coming back from injury, really good to see Nick Frost get an opportunity in the squad there, really young dynamic second role from the Brumbies. Um, otherwise Patea is back in the picture, which is always good. Pete Samu, we'd like to see more of in the Wallabies, uh, yeah, I think overall it's a good balance to the squad. It's a big squad, obviously it's, I think 42 yeah, officially. Yeah. Yeah, which I think is necessary given COVID and, and the fact that they'll be over in New Zealand for an extended period of time, having this special concession to actually enter the country on Friday. So I think that's really good. Um, it looks like a settled squad as well. I think they look happy on social media, getting plenty of training in. Obviously, it was a great decision to be training up in, in Queensland for this, this period. And I think Rennie's based in Brisbane, so that would have been probably his choice to actually stay closer to home, but it's worked out really well for them. Um, you can just imagine if, if we were training in Sydney and a lockdown hit and there would have been a, even more um, disruption to this team. So I think all in all, there's some good momentum coming through for the Wallabies. It's going to be a real test though, this first game in a week and a half against the All Blacks. It's huge. It has the potential to change the whole narrative again around the Wallabies and how the public sees them whether it's going to be, a, you know, the same story as, as what happens in, in many years recently where they get beaten pretty heavily over in New Zealand and then have to recover from that back in Australia and get a bit of redemption. And it's often in that third blood is low. So I'm hoping it doesn't happen here and we can have a, a good hit out, at least even if we don't get the victory going into Wellington, um, you know, at least we'll stand a chance there. But let's just see what happens. We've got some good players, but it's a big ask. So of those players that we've talked about, most of them that have newly been drafted into this Wallabies squad, so we're talking about Quade Cooper, Duncan Payawa, Nick Frost, you mentioned Tom Robinson, a prop um, coming back in, uh, and Isaac Rodder. Which of those, if any, do you foresee actually being 
a chance to be in the 23 in these first game, two games in New Zealand. Rodder. Rodder for sure. If, if he's... Do we think to... we see Rodder if he's fit? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he left Australia as an incumbent Wallaby starter. If he be, if he finds a way to prove that through the pre pre game or the the, the preparations and training, um, and you know as, as long as he comes across as being committed, because um, obviously there's still some hangover from that Queensland Reds walkout stuff that happened. Um, I mean the guys the guy's a great player when he's when he's 100% in New Jersey. So um, absolutely, I can see that. Unfortunately, there's there's some mixed bag there. At second row, like we like the emergence of Darcy Swain uh, a lot. We we like Nick Frost, who's, who's been pulled into this squad. Um, we know that Lucan's been playing a bit of second row and then moving into the back row as well as as needed if if that's the the subs um, arrangement. But then you know the other guys in around the squad who actually Sidaleki Tamani didn't didn't feature and then is in this latest squad. But there's still a bit of a revolving door there. There's opportunity for someone to come in and Rodder's already got a fair bit of experience in the Wallabies. I think he's got 20-something tests, doesn't he? Like he's he's a bit of a vet. You could you could definitely have him um, get in there as long as he's fit and raring to go. And he's familiar with the Kiwis too. Yeah, I was reading an article that was written in, you know, an interview with him and saying that his physicality has picked up since being over in France and, and learning a lot of the way they go about the game in the forwards and obviously the training over there is a little bit different. So I think he's, he might be struggling a little bit for, for overall fitness and for the intensity of, of some of these games. But I think if you're looking at bench, it's probably between him and Matt Phillip. I think Darcy Swain has earned the right to keep his starting spot. Luke Khan, I think is a lock in there. So yeah, it may come down to that one bench spot to see if he can get a run. Tom Robertson, I, I don't think he's going to beat out someone like Angus Bell off the bench. Um, yeah, it's it's Slipper and, and Bell, I think, hard to overcome there. Samu might be a bit of a wild card, but don't really know what condition he's in. And I'd much prefer someone like Fraser McWright getting opportunity off the bench. But there's a lot of competition for these spots at the moment in the Wallabies. I feel like we're building our depth nicely, even though at the start of the campaign we thought, you know, we can get a pretty good 15 out there, but um, apart from that, we might struggle in terms of depth. But I feel like now at the moment, our 23 is looking particularly strong. And then some of the guys surrounding that really pushing to get a bench spot. Um, I think it's, it's, it's helping a lot. And some of the backs maybe is where we need to bolster a bit of our depth. Um, the forwards are looking, I think, pretty good overall. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. Um, yeah, potentially our centres are still where we're sort of worried, which is obviously why we're bringing sort of some of extra playmakers and people like Duncan Power um, to cover for sort of those injury concerns. But we'll talk a bit more about that next week anyway. The last thing we probably have to cover is the MLR, the finals, is on this weekend and we have the LA Guiltinis that took down the Utah Warriors on the Sunday, 17 to 13, and they match up against Atlanta that just pipped New York Rugby United 10 to 9 uh, over the weekend as well. So Giltinis, the likes of Gitto Meeks, Adam Ashley Cooper, Dave Dennis, all were in the starting team for them, as well as Harrison Goddard uh, in their win 
over the weekend with Meeks and Swoopy um, standing out for them as well. Lots of line breaks and Swoopy getting over for his own try there. Boys, is this uh, inaugural title in their inaugural season for the Guiltinis? I think you've got to favour them. Like it's it's been really impressive the way Rugby Atlanta have uh, improved through the season and, and taken down some pretty decent sides as well. Um, but I feel like the Guiltinis will have been prepping and 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 preserving some of their energy and players for the final. Um, they'll they'll put everyone all their best players out there, and I think they they they've the that's uh, competitions like leading points scorers. They're, they're regularly putting 30, 40 points on the game and rugby Atlanta haven't been that, that sort of powerhouse. So I think it's probably going to be a high scoring game. I think the Kiltinis will just have more um, ammo ready, ready to take them down, ready to put sort of 40 points on. And even if they concede 28, 30, I think that's still likely to be the result. Yeah, you'd have to think playing at home at the, the Coliseum is a big advantage for them. They've got some really experienced campaigners, obviously, with Gitz there, Swoopy, um, you know, Dave Dennis, guys like that, I think is really going to pay dividends in big matches. Uh, Rugby Atlanta did get the better of them, I think, in May earlier in the year, 17-12. So that's the only time they played this season and Atlanta came out on top. But there's only been a few times that Giltinis have stumbled this year and I expect them to get the win and really cap off the fact that uh, Darren Coleman's coming back to coach the Tars and Stephen Hoyles, another Australian, obviously, ex-Wallaby, will be stepping into the head coaching role there at the Giltini. So first first year for them and I'm thinking they're going to get the trophy and, and build upon that success going forward. Um, I think it's going to be a pretty, pretty good su- success story for this franchise that is driven by a lot of Australian guys over there, including Adam Fryer, Stephen Hoyles and Darren Coleman. Yeah, it's a, absolutely a great introduction to that league and a great story and obviously building something strong there in LA, um, a very attractive place to draw players in and build a little bit more um, of a rugby culture there as well. So it's great to see, but we'll, we'll see if the Giltinis can get the um, trophies this weekend boys that's probably all we need to cover for the moment we will be back next week to properly preview Bledisloe 1 at Eden Park as well as recap the Lions second game and look forward to what um, will sounds like we're thinking will be the decider in game 3 for them as well thanks for tuning in we will try and make sure that any extra news and updates or rescheduling does get put up on our social media at Running Rugby Podcast on Instagram or at Running Rugby Pod on Twitter. Make sure you're tuning into them and catching all the latest updates and putting in your tips for these games coming through as well. Make sure you're liking and following the podcast as well and downloading every week, guys. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening and keep on running. Run.